Welcome to EEN Moms Talk. We are going to explore how we are called to care for God's creation, what that looks like for modern moms, and how we can make better choices to protect our kids from environmental harm. Now on to today's episode. Good shift the conversation a little bit to daddies. Um, I, I have had a lot of people say, well, what about the dads? And although our focus is moms, all moms have a dad. Well, all moms hopefully have a dad involved. And so I think it's important to hear from a dad who's doing amazing work, but more importantly, understands the theology of creation share, creation care as a, a lay person, not a pastor, and who is really walking the walk and talking the talk. And so we've got a great um, show lined up for you today. We're going to be talking with Charles Scribner today, who's actually one of my favorite people. Um, and he became the Black Warrior Riverkeeper Executive Director on January 1st, 2010. Black Warrior Riverkeeper's mission is to protect and restore the Black Warrior River and its tributaries. Charles is a member of the Fraternal Order of Eagles and the Episcopal Diocese of Alabama's Task Force for the Stewardship of Creation. At the Cathedral Church of the Advent, Charles publishes daily social media updates, leads a weekly Bible study group, and is a member of the planning team. He also volunteers as treasurer for the Princeton Alumni Association of Alabama and as a trustee of three scholarships for top Alabama students. Charles and his wife, Elizabeth, have two daughters, Elizabeth and Charlotte, and one son, Charles. Welcome, Charles. Thank you so much for having me, Beth. So we have, we've never actually personally met, which I think is sort of funny, because every time I get on the phone, I just feel like, you know, we know each other so well. Um, <laughs> that is a strange thing. Right, it is. So, um, but anyway, we've really bonded over this idea that caring for God's creation is a call not for the church, but for every single Christian, that it has to be part of our daily journey with Christ. And we will definitely be digging into that uh, um, very deeply as we move through the conversation. But let's start off with your role as the executive director of the Black Warrior Riverkeeper. Right. Thanks so much, Beth. And, and really, it's an honor to be on the show. It's an honor to work with you in any capacity. Uh, just for the listener's background, I have been collaborating with Beth longer than I realized that she was a Christian. Um, I have been with Black Warrior Riverkeeper since 2005, uh, right after I graduated college. I came down to Alabama where I fell in love with, uh, I'd fallen in love with a girl from Alabama while I was in college up north, and she thankfully lured me down to her hometown of Birmingham, and her name uh, at the time was Elizabeth Yates, but now it's Elizabeth Scribner because we're married and we've got three kids here in Birmingham, uh, a daughter, Elizabeth, age six, daughter, Charlotte, age four, and a son, Charles, who's almost two, and just absolutely love Alabama, which is something I never thought I'd be saying because I grew up, I was born and raised in New York City. So um, (laughs) I started working with uh, Beth early on in my career at Blackboard Riverkeeper because, um, you know, you've been just a fantastic publisher of Southeast Green, which is a great regional environmental news source. But I think just naturally through some sort of osmosis in our conversations, I don't remember the exact time, but I think we both, one of us said something about, you know, pollution being sinful or, or something or something about, you know, praying for some issue. And then it became clear, oh, okay, this isn't just, this isn't just a, you know, professional environmental conversation. Uh, we're two Christians that care about stewardship of God's creation. And so 
I am overjoyed, although not surprised, that you're now also with the Evangelical Environmental Network, which is an organization that I that I just respect so much, um, particularly the work of Catherine Hayo. Uh, it was it was maybe the highlight of my week last week when she retweeted something that I put on Twitter. But uh, but Beth, uh, you've you've just been a fantastic ally on social media over the years too, and and I think that's a great way to. Get the word out, not only about environmentalism, but about the gospel, which really is the most important message in my life. Um, it's the most important thing for me, and there are many different ways to to spread the gospel, and now we've got this new technology of social media, and so I think that that's one way, including this podcast, um, one way to get the good news out there. Well, well of course I agree, and um, I was having a conversation on Twitter the other day, and I was like, Oh my goodness! I've sent over a hundred thousand e- tweets. Not not only on Southeast. I mean, it's a combination of accounts, but yeah, I'm I sure you're that. up there too, right? And so Absolutely. it's it's amazing tool to reach people all over the world, evangelizing on on Twitter. Although I will say that sometimes we become too comfortable and think we're doing all we need to do on Twitter, and that God that God really called us to be in community with each other personally. Yeah. Um, and so that you know, I, and I, I, I just had this conversation. Like, I'm all about Twitter. There, there's no way you can't deny that I'm all about Twitter. But we have to remember that, you know, a kind smile to the grocery store person, or picking up a piece of trash um, to prevent clogging and drains, or you know, taking the newspaper to your neighbor off the driveway is a very simple way to show that kindness that we are called over and over and over in the New Testament to do. I totally agree, and it's interesting because social media, is so, particularly for nonprofit organizations that tend to have low budgets, of churches are probably falling in the same category. It's a great way to get the word out, any message out, with using basically no resources and, and no money and very little time uh, to you know hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of people, and yet some of the most impactful and powerful interactions that I've had are, are certainly one-on-one conversations, and so there's no substitute for that, and hopefully this will be one of them. I've already enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, I know. I'm like, we're already off on social media, so let's go back to the Black Warrior Riverkeeper so people understand what you're doing. So Black Warrior Riverkeeper was founded in 2001, and we are a citizen-based, nonprofit water quality advocacy organization. We are focused on protecting and restoring the entire Black Warrior River watershed, which is the largest river basin entirely contained within the state of Alabama. And Alabama, in a sense, to use one biblical metaphor, is a bit like Noah's Ark in the sense that Alabama leads the nation in freshwater biodiversity. So this state has more species of mussels, turtles, snails, crayfish, and fish in freshwater than any other state. And so there's a lot of God's creation to protect here. Unfortunately, our state government is one of the worst in terms of enforcing environmental laws, and so there's really a niche for environmental nonprofit organizations to fill. And so uh, while I grew up in New York City, and while I was in college, I interned at Hudson Riverkeeper up in New York. So I'm really into the waterkeeper model, um, which is global at this point, and I'd be honored to work for a waterkeeper anywhere in the world, but it's especially important, I think, to work for one here in Alabama, 
because there's so much of God's creation in harm's way. There's so many people. By the way, people are also God's creation. We're a very uh, special, blessed part of it in His in His image. And uh, there are a lot of outdoorsy people in Alabama, Beth. As you know, as a Southerner, people down here. It's hot weather good part of the year. People like to play in rivers and lakes and creeks. Uh, they like to go fishing. It's a great American tradition. And so while Black Quarry Riverkeeper does work to protect um, wildlife habitat and endangered species, we're also trying to protect public health and recreation for, for our neighbors. Um, and so that really falls under the category of, of loving our neighbor. Or as Wendell Berry, the poet, said, do unto those downstream as you would have those upstream do unto you. And so that's what we're trying to do. I've been here since 2005. I became director of development, and then I was promoted in 2010 to executive director. And what we do as a waterkeeper organization, we're part of the International Waterkeeper Alliance, which is just, I mean, coincidentally happens to be headquartered in New York City, my former hometown, but but the word headquartered is kind of misleading because whereas a lot of national or international environmental organizations have some central office, usually in a place like D.C. or New York or San Francisco, and that office will then dole out money and instructions and policies to its local chapters around the country or around the world, Waterkeeper Alliance is not top-heavy like that. So the, the New York office is actually more of a resource for us than a boss to us. And I think that's very important because as a grassroots organization, I think it's important that we be the experts, the people taking responsibility for our watershed and not some faraway national office. So at the same time, the Waterkeeper Alliance is a fantastic resource. If we have a science question, a legal question, fundraising question, etc., we can call them anytime. We can network with, at this point, seven other waterkeeper groups in Alabama. In fact, we just kind of formalized our relationship, and all eight waterkeeper groups in Alabama are now called Waterkeepers Alabama, but we still maintain our local sovereignty. And um, the waterkeeper movement now is on every continent in the world. And there's over, I think, it, I think now, I mean, it's growing so quickly, it's hard to keep track, but I think there are about 340 waterkeepers around the world. And our president is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He's a devout Catholic, and he, he frequently speaks about stewardship of creation. Um, and I talked to him a lot. He was my summer internship boss when I was in college. But now that I'm down here in Alabama, I talked to him a lot about some of the the volunteer work I'm doing for my church and for the Episcopal Diocese of Alabama uh, in the stewardship of creation realm. And, and, it's, and it's exciting to see an environmental leader in New York City, which is you know, maybe one of the most secular places in the country really get excited about protecting God's creation. So uh, he's, he's another one like us, Beth. Awesome. That is really, really cool. And I think we have a moral obligation as, as Christians to claim what God has put in, in our hands um, and to take the moral authority. Uh, not that other people don't count, but I, you know, one of the, the, one of the challenges with the environmental movement and this has been pretty secular. Actually, it's been overly secular. And um, there's been this tension created between um, people of faith, but most importantly, Christians, and in particular, evangelicals, and the secular environmental. But what I've been seeing with EEN is, is because EEN's uh, reputation is so stellar, 
that the the big greens, as they're called, um, are coming around to understand that the problem isn't that evangelicals don't care about creation. The problem is that the messaging has been wrong. And, um, you know, you know, people really do. And I know, look, it's Alabama. You can't swing a stick without hitting a Christian, right? So, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that the people you serve, even if it's not particularly in the conversation, that the people you serve in the Black Warrior River Basin and the people who volunteer with you are overwhelmingly Christian. I mean, that's just the way it runs, right? That's the way it works. Right, Um, and at the same time, there's so many denominations. There there are people of no denomination, and there are people of other religions. And uh, I think the important thing that we need to remember as Christians is that in the two great commandments, you know, love God, but also love your neighbor, and then uh, Jesus was asked, well, who is my neighbor? And he used the, the Good Samaritan story to essentially explain that everyone is, even our enemies, and we're called to love all of them. So I think it's important as whether we're environmentalists or Christians, or in this case, both, that we do our good work on behalf of everyone, even the people that don't look like us, even the people that disagree with us. Um, I think that's what we're called to do. I feel that way as a Christian. And I think that that's, that's actually a practical consideration, too. If you're an environmentalist, you have to realize that everyone, biologically, we all need clean water to thrive, regardless of our right. political beliefs or background. It, that doesn't matter in terms of just our, our basic needs or in terms of the fact that it's just inherently fun and beneficial to go fishing with your kids or go enjoy nature. I mean, I, I, I doubt there are very many people that don't feel better when they – are experiencing God's creation, even if they don't look at it as God, even if they don't believe in God, if they're out there in nature, I think that there's a peace that comes over them, um, and maybe a clarity. And so I think we need to protect that for everyone. And, and at Black Quarry Riverkeeper, one, one thing that I left out was that, you know, what are our main tactics? We're patrolling the river and its tributaries for major pollution problems. And then we educate the public about those problems, but we also seek solutions to them. And sometimes that solution is litigation. So sometimes we get really aggressive. And as a, and as a, a natural consequence of, of suing polluters, we make enemies, sometimes powerful enemies. And so they're people that don't like us. And yet in Matthew 5:44, Jesus said, love your enemy as yourself, pray for those who persecute you. So if I'm going to be leading a nonprofit organization, which ostensibly, you know, it, it really should be selfless work. I mean, I enjoy it, don't get me wrong, and we do get compensated, but there are a lot of other areas of work that would be more lucrative, maybe a little less stressful in terms of creating enemies and things of that nature, but if I'm not doing this work for the sake of everyone, even the people that disagree with me, in other words, if I'm if I'm not protecting water quality, even for a coal miner who might really hate me, um, then I might as well just be on Wall Street. And nothing against Wall Street at all. Most of my classmates from Princeton and, and my high school, St. Paul's, are working there. But, but you know, I might as well just be doing whatever is just most lucrative um, because this really needs to be about helping everybody. And so that's the goal environmentally and as a Christian. And, you know, easier said than done. Just like, you know, love your enemies. That's <laughs> God commands us to do that, but... Just like all of his commands, we, we fall short, and that's why we needed to have a Savior, and that's what the good news is all about. But um, it's still something to strive for, and so I try to keep that in perspective. 
Well, and, you know, even our own executive director in this time of challenge, extreme challenge to the to God's creation, you know, he admitted, you know, you know, it, it is a struggle. And, you know, and I just go back to what I said earlier. We just have to focus on that daily walk and do the best we can every day. And and, and the other thing that I always tell my niece and uh, nephews is, is practice makes perfect. So if you're practicing right. every day, your walk is a lot easier. And I want to I want to go back to two things. So the first thing that really excites me is, is there's been a lot of uh, research, medical research done, and um, it turns out that they have discovered that nature, um, people getting outside and being in nature, it like it, it triggers synapses in our brain. And we need that nature, right? I mean, God gave us this beautiful, beautiful planet in so many diverse ways. But it actually triggers something chemically in our brains that soothes us. So it's like medically proven now that God gave us a gift that we we need to stay in tune with, right? So that's the right. first thing I think I is very it. interesting. Um, the I, I mean, I definitely though, feel it. You know, there's. Yeah. I feel like, and, and this goes for a lot of matters of faith, there's, two ways to to tell sort of start to tell if something is true as a christian and what one is your personal experience and so i absolutely agree with what you just said that that seems to be my experience and i don't get to go out in nature all the time i mean maybe it sounds like you know river keeper like i'm out in a boat or canoeing on the river all the time as executive director i'm more um doing things like this you know in a in a meeting or or an interview or fundraising or educating the public, even doing social media like we discussed. Um, we do have a full-time paid investigator for the river whose job title actually is Riverkeeper, and so he's out there a bit more often on the water um, investigating pollution. But but to the extent that I do get to go out in nature, or even sometimes looking out a window at, at nature, it is amazing how it recharges your batteries. And then the second way I think as Christians that we can tell us something is true is is by looking in the Bible. And I think that Scripture is is the inspired Word of God, and I think it's tremendously important that we take it seriously. Um, and to that end, you just even look at the first page of the Bible in Genesis, and our job description, that God put us in the garden to, to, to work it and keep it. Right. Genesis 2.15, which I now have memorized. Tend the garden. Um, the good. other thing I wanted to touch on, I know, isn't that good? Woohoo! I get a fast pop quiz today. Um, yeah. The kids, right? And so I, yeah. I came. I didn't meet you, but I came to something that somehow we connected over, and I went out on the Cahaba River uh, with a bunch of adults, and we did this sort of um, educational day where we. And I'm the girl. You know, I don't consider myself a girly girl until I have to catch things. So, um, you know, and I was. But anyway, so, but the, the reason we did that is because you're doing it with children. And I really, right. really want to encourage, one of the reasons I wanted you on was because I wanted parents and moms to know that taking their children or through school maybe, sending their children to these live action sort of field trips is really, really important to educating their, your children. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's ironic that you mentioned children because I'm so sleep deprived right now because they all woke up in the middle of the night and had all sorts of different demands. I love them so much. But um, so I'm forgetting the exact verse, but it's one of the most famous. It's in Proverbs, you know, teach a child the ways and they will continue on that path. You were just quoting scripture, so you you probably know it better than I do. But um, but yeah, I think that starting that starting that um, habit early of enjoying nature, really, it's not even, you know, when you talk about 
teaching them, uh, it's not really like here's a lesson. It's kind of more like here's a gift that God gave us, I, I, and, uh, and let's go enjoy it together. You know, you're really not – it comes naturally, no pun intended. You're really not teaching them something as much as exposing them to, to this incredible gift that we've been given. And, and I have seen that our my kids are – interested in this. I don't know to what extent it's because dad works at Black Warrior Riverkeeper or because we we just directly talk about how God wants us to take care of his creation or if it's more from the experiential learning of going out and looking at nature. You know, a, a, we live kind of in a suburban part of Birmingham, but even when just a bunny sporadically goes by our our front door. I try to take the kids out as quickly as possible and say, you know, let's go check out that bunny. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about what it eats. Let's talk about what it needs and what it what it might be scared of and let's not bother it too much. So, you know, I don't know that anyone is an expert on parenting. I certainly know that a lot of authors pretend to be and child <laughs> psychologists, but I, I certainly don't want to come on this show and act like I'm some sort of expert on raising kids to be great environmentalists because the oldest of my three kids is six. Um, but, but I do think it's a worthy pursuit and I'm definitely propelled to do it. I think by, by the gospel and by the dozens and dozens, actually hundreds of Bible verses that point towards stewardship of creation. And so there is a resource that I want to direct parents to, um, and it's the Bible, but, but specifically to kind of help narrow down those passages that are relevant to the stewardship of creation um, you mentioned in my bio that one of my volunteer roles is um, the chair of the Episcopal Diocese of Alabama's Task Force for the Stewardship of Creation. And that's really just a very long-winded way of saying that um, I am the head of an environmental committee for Episcopal churches in the state of Alabama. And we have a website. It's dioala.org slash creation, because it's Diocese of Alabama. So d-i-o-a-l-a dot org slash creation. And on that page, it talks about specifically what the Episcopal Diocese of Alabama is doing for for nature and for our neighbor in Alabama. But it also has a, a resource that I'm most proud of adding to that page this year, and that's a collection of Bible verses pertaining to the stewardship of creation. And I think that that would be a, a useful starting point for any parent, would be to to look through those, and they're incredibly diverse in terms of their focus. So I think, you know, if we're talking about the Bible and creation, obviously Genesis is going to come to the forefront of our mind because that's when the creation occurred, and there are so many direct references to nature in that. I mean, for example, as God creates each element or each organism in Genesis he does that, he breathes it into, he speaks it into creation, and then he says that it was good. So there's obviously intrinsic positive value to those things, to God. Um, and then you've got the Noah's Ark story where God tells Noah not just to bring the species on the ark, that, you know, breeding pairs of species that are the most beautiful or the most valuable, but all of them. So I, I take that as a mandate for biodiversity, that God takes that very seriously, and that he is giving us this stewardship role in that work to to help um, with uh, stewarding that creation. But what's interesting about these Bible verses on dioala.org slash creation is that some of them don't actually have any direct reference to nature 
and yet they're incredibly important. I mean, I, I see this especially as an environmentalist professionally, incredibly relevant to to how sin affects creation and how sin affects public health and our world. For example, how greed um, right. enters the world, and 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 you just look at most of the environmental problems that are out there; they're mostly caused by greed, and and we're all guilty of that, by the way. So I'm not I'm not trying to be on my high horse here. Um, you know, I readily acknowledge that we all need a sa- savior and I'm first among the sinners. But um, there are a lot of verses too about how we need to help the poor. And I've seen at Black Warrior Riverkeeper that um, minority communities, poor communities are disproportionately burdened by com- by pollution. You you put certain coal-burning power plants or certain factories in poor communities because they're not going to have the political or financial clout to, to put up this type of fight that some other communities would be able to. And so Jesus in particular speaks out against harming the poor and about greed continuously. And so the, the Bible is an incredible resource. And then what maybe the most hopeful resource of it is actually Revelation. And I know that there's some parts of Revelation are, that are quite scary, you know, beasts coming out of the sea and scorpions in the sky and things of that nature. But but the ending of the story, spoil alert for anyone that's listening that's not a Bible reader, is th- the ending is fantastic. And there's, vi- and there's a description of heaven and a description of the eternal life that we will inherit through no, no deed of our own, but but purely from God's incredible grace that he sent his son to die in our place for our sins. And I mean, there, that, that could be a whole other conversation, but basically I know that the story ends on a positive note. And so that gives me on a daily basis in this line of work that can be frustrating at times, Just, you know, in, in Alabama, but anywhere that you're an environmentalist, you see greed and you see pollution all around you. And it can kind of feel like a losing battle on a day-to-day basis. But if you know the story's going to end well, that's a very powerful confidence boost. And and it doesn't mean, oh, well, the story's going to end well, so we can just rest on our laurels and not do anything. If that were the case, then, then Jesus wouldn't have commanded us to love our neighbors. He didn't say, hey, I've come to save everyone, so you can just sit around and, and you know basically have a celebration. You see, he, he wants us to participate in his restoration of of creation and then you know his love of humanity while we're here and so i think that we need to do that well absolutely so i'm going to say a couple of things and we're going to take our break um okay. one is matthew 25 is is that that the, the first part is whatever or maybe it's the last part matthew 25 anyway matthew 25 is where um you know jesus says you know take care of the poor give them a coat give them food and and somebody says well you know, when did I do that? And he said, if you do this for the least of these, you've done it for me. And right. many, many Christians resonate with it, but they have to understand if you're polluting the river inadvertently, you know, I don't think people do it intentionally. They're just not thinking about the the ramifications. Then you're not taking care of the least of these because just like you quoted Wendell Berry, it all goes down river. And, um, Unfortunately, you know, uh, there's a lot of Christians out there, and I don't want to question anyone's faith, but they, as far as I'm concerned, are misquoting scripture um, multiple times and using their faith as a defense for what they're doing when it is 
like I'm like you, Charles, man. I'm I'm such a sinner. I'm sitting on the back seat of the bus with two fingers hanging on for all I've got, hoping I'm I'm doing what God calls me to do. I you know, I, yeah. I Are you talking I'm about so divinity theology, for example, that if, you know, the world yes. is that Christ is gonna make everything new, so what what difference does it make right now what we do? Because it's all gonna right. we're gonna get this this do over. And um yeah. I if we're harming people in the before that, we don't know when that's going to happen. The Bible tells us we don't. You will not know the hour that this happens. So, does that mean that we just mistreat people or we just neglect people until that incredible day? I don't think so. Right? Do you ignore Jesus's call? I mean, like right. that's the thing. Do you ignore what Jesus called us to do? Right? And so, um, it, it, it's discouraging. It's discouraging. I know as Christians. To see other Christians, uh, the greed really the, the greed really kills me. Um, long story short, I won't go very deep into it, but someone who claims to be taking care of citizens took a fifteen million dollar bonus while taxing us with um, in Georgia with uh, an addition to our electric bills. That that doesn't that doesn't feel like you're taking care of me, um, and it's right. certainly not taking care of people who have a lot less than I do. Um, so, uh, we, we have, we, and one of the things I tell people this over and over, but guard your heart, right? Every day you have to wake up and guard your heart and you have to, you know, ask the question, is this really honoring what Jesus wanted us to do? Absolutely. And doing that with humility. Uh, I'd love when we get back from the break to talk a little bit about, Balancing that, that confidence that I just talked about, the confidence in knowing that the story's going to end well, knowing that we're in God's hands, that he loves us, and that, and, and knowing what happens in Revelation, balancing that with humility right now, I'd love to talk a little bit about that, because I think that's important for Christians and environmentalists. Yes, let's dig into that. All right, we're going to break, and we'll be right back. Awesome. We hope you're enjoying this episode of EEN Moms Talk. If you want to engage more with us, you can follow us on Instagram at EEN Moms. You can follow us on Twitter at EEN underscore Moms. Or you can join our private Facebook group at EEN Moms. Just click to join and we approve you in the group. If you want to download our free Bible study, hop over to creationcare.org and you can download it there. We really believe community is the key to everything, so we hope you will make us part of yours. Now, back to our guest. Okay, so let's let's talk. I mean, it's hard, right? And you get this because you're in Birmingham, and you know, the middle of um, Alabama football. Um, and um, you know, Southerners are big football fans, but you know, and I am too, humil- by the way, but, but I, I get where you're going with this. Right. Well, but right. So I'm not saying that you're not. You can't you can't live there right. and not be a football fan. It doesn't matter yeah. where you were brought up. So, um, but. But even their humility, right? I mean, like, it's okay to cheer for your team, but humility. And I, it's, once again, I think it's one of those daily practices of your walk with Jesus that you have to practice that muscle. So tell us where you're, what you're thinking about on that. So um, I think it's an important issue because one thing that Christians and environmentalists have in common in my experience, even if, even if the person is not both. In other words, a, you know, a secular environmentalist or a Christian that's not inv- interested in environmentalism, or both, whatever, any combination of the two. 
they can often come across when they're talking about their topic, whether it's either environmentalism or Christianity, they can often come across as, frankly, being preachy or being on their high horse or trying to hold the moral high ground or, or saying, you know, I have all the answers and you don't, and here's what you need to do. I'm right and you're wrong. And that's probably the most effective way to get people to stop listening. If Whether you, you say things that way directly or whether people just get a sense that that's where you're coming from. And I think that it's actually, from the Christian standpoint, it's theologically incorrect to not be humble. I mean, I mean, Jesus even says that those who be exalted will be humbled and those who are humbled will be exalted. But if you think about the gospel, the, about the fact, you know, why did God send his only son to redeem us through his death and resurrection? It's because we needed to be redeemed, all of us. So there's something inherently flawed about all of us going back to the fall, going back to Genesis. And we have no ability to boast in our salvation. I, I'm, it's an incredible gift. It's, it's grace. It's the good news. It's not something that we have earned, any of us, even the best among us. Mother Teresa, or I, mean, I just don't even want to name people because we're all flawed. Right. But, uh, no one can boast in, in their salvation. And so likewise, if the whole central message of Christianity, if you maybe boiled it down to one verse, John 3.16, it, it's about it centers on the fact that we should be humble because we're so flawed that our creator had to send his own son. And as a parent, I'm, you know, this is, this passes all, all understanding as humans, what, what God's designs are. And yet I think when we become parents, we get some small glimmer of what this means, because can you just imagine giving one of your kids, you know, to, to, to redeem others? It, it's, it's, it's not even something you want to dwell on. Um, and so we needed a Savior, and we worship that Savior. So how can we ever act like we have the high ground? Now, I, th- I look at it more like this. I mean, I do think that if you're Christian, if you're, for example, believing in John 3.16, then you're tapped into the truth. But as my pastor, as, as the dean of the Cathedral Church of the Advent, likes to say, it's more like, we're two beggars, and I just know where to find food, so I'm going to tell you where to find it. You know, we're both starving, but I know where the food is, so I'm going to help you find it. It's not like, oh, I have the food and I deserve it. So I think that that humility, if you're a Christian environmentalist, has to spill into your job, too, that environmentalists often come across, it's sort of like they're laying down law. It's that sort of law versus grace or law versus gospel divide. You know, books like 50 Things You Can Do to Save the Earth, there, there's some really helpful suggestions in that. But if you just keep pounding suggestions, I think people's ears turn off. I mean, think how bad we all are at, at upholding the law. No one can do it. That's why Jesus had to come fulfill it. And I think the same goes for environmental law. And so you and I have talked a lot about how rather than focusing purely on changing policies or changing habits, I think we need to change hearts first and then just like how the gospel works or just how I've seen it work, um, rather than earning our salvation or earning anything through our good works, we get this unearned gift of grace, and it propels us miraculously to start doing good works, not because we need to to be saved, but because we are saved. And so then we start doing good works out of this incredible feeling of gratitude. 
And so rather than lecturing people about how, you know, the environmentalists are good and they're bad, or you're the polluters and we're the, we're the people that are saving people, I mean, let's acknowledge for one thing, we're all polluters. So the other day a, a colleague, you know, at another organization was saying, oh, we don't take any money from polluters. And I just kind of chuckled because I thought, well, where do you draw that line? I mean, we're all, you're a polluter, I'm a polluter, you know. So um, rather no money than the us account. versus them mentality, you know, Jesus said, again, love your enemies, Matthew 5.44. So, so let's try that. And I think that there's something very disarming when we bury the hatchet and when we just purely try to help people out of altruism and out of, in, in the Christian sense out of incredible gratitude for this gift that we've been given that we don't deserve. Well, and I, to underscore what you're saying, I've had a couple of people mention to me, like, we don't listen to the big greenies because they're so arrogant. I mean, mm-hmm. evangelicals, I'm talking about evangelicals saying to, we just don't listen. And I'm and like, the greens would say that about the evangelicals in a lot of cases, you know, I mean, it's really, right. it's everyone I think has to adopt a much more humble position. I'm working on it. Too. You know, you, when you get mad, it's so easy to forget that and then just to start saying, you're doing things wrong. But I think we need to well, double down on the humility. And that comes from refocusing on the. I mean, every time you look at a cross, I, I think the cross is taken in some circles almost as a political symbol or in more. Um, and, and that's really a shame, but uh, whether it's on the left or the right, but in maybe in a more innocent way, it can kind of just. Seen, be seen as oh that's what a you know a pleasant symbol of Christianity and Jesus was so nice he was the nicest guy ever and no I mean the cross was an execution device and the reason why it had to be employed is because God will sent His Son to willingly get on the cross for all of us because we're flawed and so every time you look at a cross you should really be humbled you should be incredibly grateful but also humbled. Right. Well, so two things really quickly. Uh, back to that humble. One of the places I really struggle with humility is, is I don't intend to be, but because you know, look, like you said, Southeast Green, ten years of blogging, ten years of going to conferences and tweeting and all this kind of stuff. I know a lot of stuff. It, it's yeah. very annoying, and I always tell people I'm very annoying. But when I'm in a group with new people, and to listen to where they are, I have a very hard time. Right to be what I would call a candle blower outer. Like, you know, they're enthusiastic and they're impassioned and they're talking about something that is wrong. But it's very hard to remain humble and not sort of stifle their enthusiasm because they think they've got something unique and that will help. Um, And yet, you know, I know it's been done to death. It's not going to work. Um, and so, you know, so that humbleness comes in different ways. It's not just standing up and saying, blah, 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 blah. It's even working on small levels with small groups of people and being quick to listen, as one of my favorite evangelical pastors is talking about right now, um, and, and slow to speak. And then, yeah. you know, maybe even saying a little prayer, God, give me the words where I don't take away their enthusiasm, but we steer the conversation. A different way. Yeah, the Bible and calls so, us to encourage one another when we're doing well. Mm-hmm. But Paul also says, speak the truth in love, right? So there's right. two parts to that. It's speak the truth. For example, speak truth to power. Speak truth to your friends. You know, let them know when they're, when they're doing something wrong. Let them be encouraged when they're doing something right. But do it from a standpoint of love. And I, I feel like 
oh, there's so many problems right now, especially in you know political discourse, in the the lack of civility that we that we see at the highest levels and at the lowest levels and everywhere in between. But if people I don't know. I think it really comes back down to the, the gospel. I think one of the best forms of outreach that we can do as Christian environmentalists is to spread the good news, because I think that changes hearts. And once hearts are changed, then behaviors start to be changed, too. Well, and, and I honestly have, in a very dismal situation, um, I have come to believe that this is an incredible opportunity for Christians to really speak out and be the true voice of Jesus, which is what he called yeah. us to do, right? So, like, to take take a very neg- – and, I, you know, you know, you sit on Facebook and everyone's like, oh. And, you know, I, I'm not perfect, but, you know, I really try to turn it around. And, in fact, I got criticized because I was flippant, but it always fit down. Do you have a soul? <laughs> and I was like – yeah, well, clearly you don't follow me on Twitter because you're not, you know, this, you're taking one tweet and isolating it compared to everything else. But people right. are so sensitive. That's the other thing is, is, is like everybody is open, is walking around with these open wounds, and and people are, and so the only way to heal those wounds is to be that the salt and light, right? I mean, you know, yeah. and just and just doing it every day. So, um, gosh, I knew we were going to have a good conversation. Yeah, we're not even really yeah. talking about environmental, but we're talking about these foundational Jesus, issues. You know, we, you and I could talk for the 30 minutes or, or, or much longer about even just one specific creek in the Black Warrior watershed or one right. specific environmental <laughs> law or, or, or exactly. one type of critter that needs to be saved. But I think that these foundational issues, particularly for Evangelical Environmental Network, are, are you got to get to the root of the problem. I mean, the, and, and that's where those Bible verses I was saying on, on dioalla.org slash creation are so valuable because they're not just about nature. They, they touch on greed. They talk, touch on our need to love one another. They touch on our need to help the poor. All these, all these social issues that we're seeing, not, that, you know, environmentalism included, but in, with pollution also comes poverty. Um, and with poverty often comes pollution. And so... If we dip into scripture, we'll see that a lot of these problems really aren't new. The technologies are new, but human nature isn't. And the, the solution, I don't think, is new either. I think it, it really comes down to refocusing on the gospel. And to that end, one of my goals when I took um, the chair position of the Episcopal Diocese of Alabama's Task Force for the Stewardship of Creation was not just to create lists of helpful suggestions, which is great, and we do, th- we do that sometimes, or not just to educate people about the incredible biodiversity of Alabama, as fantastic as it is, and I give all credit to God for that creation, but was really to get back to some theological basics and actually draft a theological statement. So we just added this to our, our webpage, um, and I, if you don't mind, I'll just read it to you. Yeah, just really quickly, before we read it, I just want to know that yeah. we've put a link in the show notes, so if anybody hasn't gotten the website address, they can they can get to it, but please read it to us. Awesome, and yeah, and it's the same page that has all those Bible verses that I mentioned. So um, this is the Episcopal Diocese of Alabama's theological statement about stewardship of creation, uh, newly created this year, That the statement, not the, <laughs> obviously not the creation. So we said, <laughs> as Christians... 
We believe all of creation was called into being by the very word of God. The Bible reveals that our Creator calls us to be stewards of creation and to love our neighbors. Inspired by the unsurpassed love God showed us by sending Jesus Christ, God's only Son, to redeem us through his death and resurrection, we respond to God's commands. Therefore, the Episcopal Diocese of Alabama is committed to environmental education, advocacy, and action for our neighbors and all of creation. That's beautiful. That is really, really beautiful. And um, one of the challenges I have is I feel like I've heard everything. And that is so unique and such a beautiful way to put it that, you know, I haven't heard. So I really resonate with it because it it changes the way people are going to think about it, right? Um, so thank you for that. And I know uh, you all so wordsmith that. Yeah, there were a lot. There were a lot of different cooks in that kitchen. Uh, not just the members of the task force itself, which is a mixture of environmental leaders. Uh, it's a lot of environmental leaders in Alabama are Episcopalian, disproportionate number. But a lot of environmental leaders, clergy, um, scientists that that were all happened to be Episcopalian and, and were part of this task force. But I also sent drafts of it to friends from other denominations, you know, evangelical leaders, um, Catholic leaders, uh, clergy, et cetera, just to get their sense. But really my favorite part of the statement, and, and this gets back to kind of the whole thesis of this conversation, is getting back to basics. It's not the part about education, advocacy, and action, or about, you know, the creation itself. It's really the gospel statement in the middle of it the unsurpassed love God showed us by sending Jesus Christ, God's only Son, to redeem us through his death, death and resurrection. I mean, emphasis on the word redeem here, getting back to what we were talking about with humility, if you don't need redemption, if you're perfect already, if you have, if you have no sins to confess or you're just you know on your high horse able to do everything right, you don't need to be redeemed. But that's that's the case with nobody. And so we're trying to keep that in focus as we do anything that we do at the diocesan level. And then, of course, at Black Warrior Riverkeeper, we're not a church organization. Um, you know, obviously, you said in, in Alabama, a lot of our members are going to be Christian, but a lot of them are. We have thousands of members, and some of them are other religions or atheists, um, and we're fighting for all of them equally. And so when I'm wearing my Black Warrior Riverkeeper hat, uh, I'm not going to be as outspoken about my personal faith, um, but it certainly directs and propels all my actions and and gives me the confidence to keep doing this work that can that can be frustrating. Well, and I really want to shift as we get to the point where we're winding up, but I want to reinforce, I just read a wonderful book, like one of the misconceptions um, is that you're only doing good work if you're working through the church. And yet, if you're only working through the church, you're only around, surrounded by Christians. And that how, you know, all of us, whether we're in the church or more importantly, if we're outside the church, we have to be And I remember when I first sort of got, you know, we were grew up Christian, you know, did the typical 20, 30-something thing, took the break, you know, I don't need God kind of thing, um, which would just shock most people who know me now, um, was, you know, I have I have to be a reflection of my faith regardless of where I am. Right. And so getting back in the hands of Jesus and, and, and being recalled into the faith right after it happened, one of my friends said, you're so different. 
and I thought, wow. I mean, I don't, you know, I, I mean, I was baby steps. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm on right. this thing now, seventeen years, but this was like several months in, and so it it just sort of reiterated to me that even if I didn't feel like I had made any changes, except I was going to church every Sunday, you know, that Jesus sinks into you in a way that reflects that you don't even realize. Right. Yeah, the right. priesthood of all believers, right? A big, big focus of Martin Luther's exactly 500 years ago when he kicked off the Reformation. But, um, yeah, if you ever feel like you're not, you're not making enough of a difference, whether it's with your, with your kids, um, I know their, their mom's listening in particular, or, or with your job or anything else, you, you know that everything ultimately is in God's control. And if you're Christian, you know that the story ends well. But um, in the meantime, we just try our best. And right. I don't think that and, we and, need and, to be priests or, or clergy in order to do that, although I have incredible respect for that profession, obviously, and some of my best friends and, and best colleagues are in that profession. But I think that for the time being, uh, you know, being a professional environmentalist is a great way to to do good works for the community, whether people are believers or not in Christ, but also to um, to, to really tap into some some biblical mandates, and I think that they're well listed on this uh, this webpage that you're sharing. Um, and then another another role, you know, for the parents out there that's just, I think, tailor-made for trying your best as a Christian, no matter what your profession is, is, is parent. Which is a perfect segue into, I want to talk about uh, some of the things that you and Elizabeth are doing to teach the kids. Right. I always like to ask parents towards the end of the, the interviews, like, what are you doing individually to sort of sink uh, Jesus and, you know, caring for his creation into their hearts? So I think in keeping with the, with, with, I guess, this general theme that's kind of naturally occurred here, which is just getting back to basics, really refocusing on, on Jesus and the cross and not so much the specific details, like some of the secondary issues. I mean, yeah, we talk about, you know, we we recycle at home, for example, and we don't just teach the kids how to recycle. I mean, it depends whether you're talking about my six-year-old or my one-and-a-half-year-old right. in terms of right. the level of, of understanding here, but or, or even four-year-old. But, um, you know, we teach them how it's, it's good. We're keeping the trash out of the rivers, and, this is, and God made the rivers, and so he wants us to help them by recycling. This is just one little example. But I think in the bigger picture and in the, in the more foundational sense, we try to show our kids as much as possible just how grateful we are to God for making us, for protecting us, for providing for us, how enthusiastic we are about going to church, about reading the Bible, things like that, so that when they so they just kind of get the sense of, wow, Mom and Dad really love God. I guess God must be this, you know, this incredibly lovable force. You know, I mean, we can't even, as adults, we can't fully comprehend God, but certainly kids are probably going to have even more stumbling blocks theologically that they can't even communicate to, to their own parents. Um, but I think if we show them that level of enthusiasm and, and just seriousness that, you know, that, that we take God's commands seriously, that we stumble, and that's when we need to apologize, and that's when we need to pray, but that this is, this is not a joke, and this is not the tooth fairy. You know, this is not Santa Claus. This is much bigger. Um, those are other topics, I think, for another parenting discussion. But um, uh-huh. they will see that 
if we take God seriously, then maybe as they get older and then we start getting more into the details about, you know, protecting against greed or helping the poor or being good stewards of creation, we get into those more specific things. I hope that they, they've already had the foundation of, okay, well, why are we doing this? Oh, because cause God wants us to. Well, that's not a fairy tale. That's something that we take very seriously in this family. So I hope that that works. I love that. That's really, really great commentary and just love the position of gratitude. Like if you teach kids gratitude, then the rest of it will sort of come. Um, but I am going to throw us... You know, ultimately, the whole Holy Spirit is where all the best things come from, and like we're these broken vessels, and the Holy Spirit can work through us. So I don't have the answers. You know, I'm, I mean, in the spirit of humility, too, I almost feel ridiculous giving any parenting advice at all. But, um, you know, I'm just a broken vessel. But I, but we're trying, and I think that that's, that's the best we can do. All right. Excuse, I'm sorry. I, I don't ever get phone calls, and I've got one coming in on the back side. So I apologize for that. No problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's I'm, a world yeah, of distractions. Well, it's a metaphor. That's right, exactly. So, But I want to do this really quickly um, because, you know, I am Solar Geek, and I know your father-in-law <laughs> has a solar company in um, Alabama, which for anybody outside of the Alabama region, I'm telling you, this is a huge deal. This is a huge deal. Yeah, um, now they're in North Carolina, I, too. Eagle Solar and oh, Light. Oh, good. Yeah, good. Alabama but and North just, Carolina. That's that's really exciting. But I just want to know what the kids think about solar. They they seem to get it pretty well. You know, actually, with solar, there's not a lot of moving parts, so it's it's a right. pretty easy. You know, God, God created the sun, and that's page one of the Bible. And then the sun makes the panels work. The, in our case, the panels then make the batteries work, which is what our house draws from. I mean, I actually, I, I even understand solar a lot better than some other forms of electricity and. And they and they're starting, you know, we'll drive by, like we took them out to, um, you know, on some trips recently where we drove by some coal-fired fire power plants uh, that are on the Black Warrior River, and they saw the incredible amount of smoke and steam coming out of them, and they're like, Daddy, what's that, what's that ugly thing? And then I explained, oh, well, that's, that's where a lot of the electricity comes from, but not our electricity at home because we've got the solar panels. So little by little people understand, but actually when we saw that, we were driving out to Camp McDowell, which is the Episcopal Diocese of Alabama's camp and convention center, and my father-in-law's company had just installed a big um, solar array there on some of the rooftops and on uh, a ground mount, too. And so the camp, which I think is the largest Episcopal camp in the, in the nation, is trying wow. to go off the grid. And they're not just doing that to save on their electric bills, although that's good stewardship, because, you know, if we save energy then we're saving money. And if you're a church or a church camp or a family, if you can be better stewards of your money, then you can spend that money on, on good things. You can help people. You can give more to charity. You can tithe more because you've got more at your expo- at disposal. And I think it makes sense for a church to be giving more money to ministries than to utilities, for example. Amen. You know, give to the poor instead <laughs> of the, to the power company. And I'm not vilifying the power company as much as just saying, Stewardship is not just of environmental resources, it's also financial resources. So, you know, the camp's saving money, but they're also trying to be a an example to people of the way the world could be. And so right. that was really exciting. But you're driving to that camp, and meanwhile you're passing the coal-fired power plants. And so the contrast, it is a teachable moment for kids. 
Well, I'm going to include a link in the show notes because uh, my father and nephew and I went out to the Grand Canyon. We drove from Mobile to the Grand Canyon. And it didn't wow. mean to be, but it ended up being like this coal fire power plant. Then we drove through, you know, what I call the Jurassic Park experience where you go out West Texas and you drive by all the windmills and just like you just feel like you're in a movie. It's just fantastical, right? Yeah. Um and then, you know, picking out solar along the way, like somebody in Louisiana is really smart and sold every billboard um west of New Orleans to the state line, uh solar panels. So all the billboards are solar oriented. Um yeah, so it was really this sort of amazing story that, you know, we just go in the Grand Canyon, but it ended up being this sort of old energy, new energy kind of story. So anyway, right. well, we are going to run out of time. I knew I should have given us a little more time. But um, I really appreciate your time because I know how valuable it is and you've got so many hats you're wearing. So thank you so much for spending time with us and um, just really appreciate this really thoughtful, deep conversation about our faith and, you know, how like – if you start with faith, then it then the rest of it seems to sort of click along like it should be. And I think that's what I really appreciate about this conversation because, you know, we're talking about creation care, but if you just focus on your faith, then God's going to show you how you care for creation. Right. Right, absolutely. Uh, I really appreciate this ministry that you're a part of, and I look forward to many more years of collaboration. Amen. I love that. That's a That's a really happy, hopeful thought. So thanks oh, so much, true. Charles. And Yeah, no, I agree. Um, appreciate your time. Take me out somehow, but you never know. <laughs> I have those thoughts too. So um, anyway, um, just really, really grateful for our relationship. It's, it's just a wonderful gift. So um, God we bless will you, talk to you. God soon. bless anyone that, Thank you. that listened. Yes. Amen. That's a great way to end. Thanks, Charles. Take care. Bye. I love daddies. I love mommies. I love kids. I love all the things that God has given us as grateful, grateful gifts on this planet. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I, I, this is a great conversation. And that doesn't mean we get to sort of rest on our laurels, but it does mean that, you know, if we start with God, then he, w- he, he really will show us the way. And right now we've got lots of ways, folks. We've got lots of ways that we can be helpful. So um, we're going to sign out, and we will see you on the next episode of EEM Moms Talk. Welcome to EEM Moms Talk. We are going to... Thanks for listening to this episode of EEM Moms Talk. You'll be able to get more information on our website at creationcare.org, and we hope that you will like and subscribe to these podcasts on iTunes or your other favorite podcast player. 